you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. What is the long-term effect of too much information? Information, information, I just need some information. I've been dying, I've been dying, is it lack of education? I've been reading, I've been reading without any transformation. I'm addicted, I'm addicted, is it overstimulation? Hey. Welcome to the Success Report. The Success Report. Hear ye, hear ye, come one, come all. You are listening to The Sixth Sense Report with Darnell Samuels and Joel Nikoloff. What up, bro? <laughs> I'm good, Joel. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. Been reading reading some... I've been studying economics again. Oh, really? Cracking out some Murray Rothbard. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's a good look. That's a good look. So today we got a special episode for you. We have a special friend. Uh, none other than, or I should say, the artist formerly known as Chosen, <laughs> right? Oh, the man. host, the host of Dollar Savvy. That was a while ago. <laughs> My goodness, the host of Dollar Savvy, <laughs> Sion Adiyemi. Yes, 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 yes. Glad to be here. Welcome, Thank you welcome. For having me. Oh man, you bring it back, man. <laughs> That's how we. That's how you know we go way back. <laughs> yeah, you and Chopin doing your thing. Oh man, yeah, that was yeah, that was way back, man. Yeah, we're talking what, fifteen years? Yes, yes, yes. At yeah. least. Yeah, you 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 were the vocalist. Yeah, and Chopin was the rapper. <laughs> <laughs> I still try to hold a tune every now and then, but just behind the scenes, man, not. Not in public. Oh, that's a good look. That's a good look. So for the audience, uh, yeah. So so Sean has his own, um, has his own uh, podcast, uh, Dollar Savvy. Uh, why don't you tell us about it? Well, the Dollar Savvy podcast. I'm a financial planner, and so I approach a lot of things I do from a biblical perspective because I'm a Christian first, and then a financial planner second. And so what that means is that. Uh, I see everything through the lens of scripture in terms of how you manage money, how you view money, what money means to you. And so what that podcast really is, is to help Christians integrate their faith through their finance with how they see money. We talk a lot about stewardship. We talk a lot about uh, where your treasure is, where your heart is, and just making sure that money is not a God to you. And so how does that look like in the practical day-to-day and the things you do and the decisions you make. So we talk a lot about that on the podcast. So that's really what the podcast is about. Okay, wow. biblical, biblical, sorry, Biblical wisdom for today's money matters. That's in a snapshot. That's what your it is. your tagline? That's my tagline. Okay, okay. Well, here we are. So, so we, have, we have dollar savvy. We have the six cents report. So we got, what, a dollar and six cents. That's, that's all a, we got. That's all we got, baby. <laughs> that's all we got. We're rich. <laughs> <laughs> okay all right yo this is this is beautiful man so we have the financial planner uh we have the uh the accountant and we have the guy who failed grade 11 math so <laughs> oh so man we're Darnell's gonna kill got nothing to say what <laughs> <laughs> no i got a lot to say because i failed the uh, grade 11 math so you got lots of questions and 10 yeah, and 10 yeah yeah so i i got a lot of questions so i'm, I'm representing for those guys you know who um Decided to go play dominoes. Mathematical <laughs> challenge. <laughs> <laughs> decided to play dominoes instead of being in class. A so. Jenga. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so praise God. So, all right. So, we're gonna be picking apart this um, this article uh, found on CBC, and it's about the lack of inheritance tax making inequality worse. So it's, there's a think tank study that suggests that uh, Canada is the only G7 country without an 
a federal inheritance tax. So uh, for the listeners, how would you guys break down what is an inheritance tax? Um, I think the simplest way is just comprehending on a high level that when you die and assets are transferred to your family, um, taxation is slightly different than your regular taxation year to year. So you have final year returns. There's other taxes and fees you can be subject to. Um, and there's ways to uh, minimize that, that tax, uh, especially in Canada. Uh, Whereas, you know, some other countries don't necessarily, let's say, give the same consideration for, for some circumstances that, that allow you to avoid the, I mean, it's called probate taxes for the most part, but, but we're just using inheritance tax as a generic term. Okay. Yeah, that's, I mean, J Joel said it right. There is a cost to dying, really. And so uh, a lot of things that we may not, even think about across our minds is that it, 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 it can be expensive to die, uh, but nonetheless, Canada is still rel relatively inexpensive compared to the G7 nations. And so for those with a lot of wealth, uh, the survivors that get the wealth, um, they can get a lot of these things. Uh, there's no there's no inheritance inheritance tax in Canada essentially, so a lot more is left to them. Mm -hmm. so, it's a, so it's a good thing. Well, from the article's perspective, it's not. I mean, the article is inherently based on wealth redistribution is a good thing. Inequality sounds like inequality inherently is a bad thing, versus. I would say my position with regards to inequality is that inequality that is a result of freedom and not government favors or exploitation is 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 a result of freedom, right? So people make different choices. I mean, we've talked about this before, but um, I think there's a premise within this article that we need to minimize inequality. Even though if I contract, I can come up with scenarios where equality, everybody's worse off than the person at the lowest ends of the spectrum of inequality. Mm. And I'll take that. I'll be the low person on the inequality scale over being in Venezuela right now, where they're all equally starving and dying. So, um, you know, I think the question around inheritance tax is interesting um it's it's a it's a transfer of wealth from the person who created it to society as a whole um and i mean what are your as a financial planner for your customers or your clients how do you view the i mean let's call it the little inheritance tax that we already do incur well without planning you um there's a lot lost to the governments without proper planning and i find that the equality gap widens the lower down the scale you get because 
there isn't proper planning put in place to ensure that the survivors get more of what you have and you're leaving behind. And so I find the wealthy plan these things very well. And when I mean wealthy, wealthy is a very, <laughs> it there's a scale to it, right? Uh, a lot of people may not consider themselves wealthy, but they actually are. But we'll come back to that in a second. But the idea here is that the wealthier you are, the more planning is often done to ensure that your wealth is passed on properly to your next of kin or to your survivors. And as you go down that skill, when there isn't proper planning done, there's a lot of wealth that is lost in the process, either through probate fees, either through taxes, or even through mistakes your survivors will make as they're trying to wind down your estate that ends up costing them a whole lot more some of them irreversibly. Wow. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, you can, I mean, a simple example is like RSPs. If you don't, you, there's ways to transfer RSPs tax efficiently, and there's ways to do it very inefficiently. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if you're sort of like, if somebody, a parent had like half a million dollars in RSPs and dies at like 55, and it's not transferred as efficiently as possible, you can be hit with essentially a marginal tax rate of 50%. That's half of that goes going to the, to government. the government. Because you didn't plan slash, or what he was saying, you as a survivor didn't transfer it efficiently. Maybe you didn't seek the right professional help. Maybe you got professional help and they made a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's, uh, in essence, bad planning causes your family to lose wealth. That further widens the gap. Yeah. Right. And, and well, to your point, right? The higher you are on the wealth spectrum, the more likely you are to plan ahead, which means you're more likely to have a, the most tax efficient solution. So more of your wealth is being passed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the yeah. wealthy stay wealthier and the lower, you know, the poorer lose more of their wealth. Right. Because they didn't plan. Right. So what trends do you see, Sean, like when you work with your clients? Unfortunately, I find that amongst some of my clients who are my race, very, uh, when I talk about the topic of will, I find that I have to keep pushing and I keep pushing and keep bringing a reminder off. And I find that that breaks my heart because I know that without a proper will, things there are no clear instructions as to how to pass on this wealth because when you when you're going through the process of preparing a will a lawyer would often highlight few things that you need to address things like having your beneficiaries on your rsps on your pensions at work and those things so laurie would usually do that which helps you transfer your wealth more efficiently but if you haven't even started the process of that you have so many open gaps that you're ignorant too. you're ignorant and so i'm finding that amongst i hate to say it amongst my black clients i'm having to keep pushing and pushing and say let's get your wills done these are all your investments i'll do the little that i can like making sure all your tfsas your rsps and those things have beneficiaries on it or your insurance policies or your segregated funds all those things have beneficiaries on it but there are certain things that I have limitations as a financial planner in what I can do. Some of those other things have to be 
stated in the will. But if you don't sit down with a lawyer to do that, then it doesn't get done. Mm-hmm. On the other spectrum, I find a lot of my Caucasian clients or other races for that matter, I say, let's get a will done. I introduce them to some of the lawyers we work with. Within about a week, a month or so, they've already communicated with the professionals. And even if the will is not complete, they're process. going through the process. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's, once again, widens the gap. Because yeah. we're not taking will seriously. And it's almost like the subject of will or death is a taboo because you feel like somehow if I get a will done, then I'm going to die sooner. <laughs> I remember speaking to, you know what? This is even a personal story. I'll give you an example. I, 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 mm-hmm. I have an insurance policy on my mom. Mm-hmm. I pay for it. Well, my brothers and I, we pay for it. And I mm-hmm. said, because this is important. I told my mom about it years ago. My mom didn't. She doesn't care so much about it. You're the benefactor. You're the payee. Exactly. She's just the object. <laughs> and then when was it? Um, maybe a few months ago. It's like, so you guys actually have a policy for me? Do you think I'm going to die? <laughs> I'm like, <"It's> not- <laughs> eventually. I'm like, yeah, eventually. It's not because I think you're going to die soon, but you will die. I'm 30 plus years younger than you. And I have an insurance policy, not because I think I'm going to die, but because I have loved ones that I don't want to live a baggage to mm-hmm. to in terms of how they're able to fare once i'm gone and so just that mindset mm-hmm. that i painted with my mom is a mindset that is pre- is is prevalence amongst the not so wealthy and a lot of my african-american or my black clients yeah yeah it's funny you say that because when you're talking I'm, I'm thinking about my family so a lot of times when this issue comes up it's like are you trying to kill me? Like, are you trying to off me so you can get some money? Like, what? Like, what, like, what's going on? But right. <laughs> I think, I think part of it is that the the financial illiteracy. So a lot of times, uh, finances are secret. Right. Like, like secret from your neighbors, but also secret from your, your family, family members. Because it's kind of like um, I don't want to see them where I'm really at. I don't want. I don't want my brothers or sisters. I don't want my kids to really know where I'm at because either I'm embarrassed because I've, I, I've squandered wealth and I don't want them to see me as, okay, well, I don't have much. Um, yeah. So, so a lot of times those, those kind of things, those, the insecurity of not having, feeling like you're not having enough. So I, I don't think it's uh, an issue of not caring, but more so an issue of like, kind of like there's an insecurity to say, okay, look, I don't have enough. I've squandered this wealth. Um, I don't have much to leave you. Um, and and so forth, but yeah, but part of it is like yeah, when you're talking about the the the, the income gap, the disparity, um, at some point, um, it's on the ground level. Like you really can't say it's at the top. Like okay, well, we need to create this policy so that uh, more money can trickle down and balance things out. Well, no, it's actually in the home. It's like the conversation you have to have with your dad and be like, yo, dad, how much you know? We need to set up this will. Yeah. Like, what do you got? Right? Yep. Are, do you have any other kids that we don't know about? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, yeah, because right. next thing oh. you know, you at the funeral, you divvying up money to this guy you don't know. <laughs> you know what yeah, I'm saying? Someone's, <laughs> someone's claiming a stake. Yo, right? bro, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's real talk. You know what I mean? So these are the things you got to clean up your. Well, mm-hmm, and I yeah. think there's a lack of, of comprehension in the, the ease a will creates. Um, so as much as we've talked about 
you know, financially doing things more efficient, mm-hmm. um, you know, creating structure such that it's more tax effective. The other side of it is the stress that your family is going to go through because in essence, when you, if there is no will, you've, I almost want to say the, your wealth transfers to the state and then the state has to give it back to you. Obviously when I say state, I mean government. But, okay. Okay. Um, you know, the government essentially owns your stuff until they determine how does it get allocated. And without a will, it's just so much opportunity for whether it's fighting, infighting, the long lost child who's claiming a stake, mm-hmm. um, or or just simply the process of going through it. Mm-hmm. Who's responsible? Who has a say? All these things that just you know, your family members are going to have to take time off work mm-hmm. or whatever it is to meet with officials and, and process these things, transferring of accounts, transferring of balances. That's just undue stress. And to add to that, we make the worst decisions when we're emotionally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so when you don't have a will and you pass, first of all, your loved ones are in pain. They're going through a lot emotionally because you're no longer around. And so now they have to make these financial decisions that you should have at least put certain things in place. And because in that, in that vulnerable state, they're making a lot of mistakes mm. and that's costing them the wealth that you've built or however little or small you think that is, it's costing, it's reducing the amount that they eventually get. Mm-hmm. And so just like Joel said, they're losing time off work, having to go file this paper, not just file the paper. There's fees for filing these papers. Okay. To, be, to become the executor of their estate, they have to pay this. They, they go to city hall to pay this. They go to city hall to pay this. I have to take this time off work. I have to take this time off work. There's so much paperwork I need to do. And I'm just, I haven't slept all night because I've been crying. Right. Mm-hmm. So the make a bad situation worse. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. It, okay. So we've been throwing around the term wealth. So I just, I want to say one thing with regards to before we move on to, from a will is like, you know, I'll make sure I include a podcast in the, in the show notes page, but it's especially in the U S when you've got such a variety from state to state, Mm -hmm. the need, and even in Canada, the need to have a professional input on it, especially when you start to say like, oh, I have more than a thousand dollars in my bank account. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously if that's all you have, you could probably write your will on a piece of paper and, and get away with it. But as you start to have even just, oh, I have this car, I have a you house. know, a house, or maybe you don't even have a house, but you have certain things. I have an insurance policy, I have this or that. Having a legal professional have eyes on it to make sure that you haven't missed things. You know, yeah, it's gonna cost you money, right? Could you try to download something from the internet? Sure. But do you really want to spend three days doing research to try to figure it out? Or are you willing to pay someone a couple hundred bucks or you know, maybe you gotta pay five hundred bucks? But if it's gonna save you $500 worth of lost taxes and the stress and burden of your family, it's worth the money. Even the things that you may not put a dollar value to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, heirlooms, things that have passed on from yes. grandparents and great-grandparents that now belong to you. Your family now has to figure out who gets what mm-hmm. and that can further create infighting. You have, I mean, just like you said, your car, your, you name it. We all have different things, especially a lot of us as immigrants. There's some things that uh, 
for the for the first generation people at least mm. that our our parents may have brought back and uh, brought to Canada that means a lot to the family and then begin to figure out how do you dispose of that or how do you keep that or who gets that it's a lot of drama em- drama <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Moving right. on to wealth. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, you know, just so we don't get too hard, far ahead of ourselves, but also for the listener, which is helpful, just practical information. Define wealth. In my opinion, wealth is having more than enough. And I'll explain that. If you can provide for your family the basic necessities, food, shelter, clothing, and Maybe in today's day, we may add a few other things there that are fundamental are to, fundamental to your job. Let's say a, a, a cell phone, an inexpensive plan, something that has internet. Even that, could, even that could be a stretch in terms of calling that a need. But if you can provide for the basics and necessities and a little more, in my opinion, you have wealth. You have a lot more wealth than 90% of the world's population. And so the idea that I don't have a lot, so I don't need a will, let's debunk that. You mm-hmm. do need a will. Mm-hmm. I think in order to define wealth, and especially in the way that you define it, which is like more than enough. Well, what is enough? And I would say, so let's figure out how do we define poverty? Right? So I think if I can provide for my basic needs then or sorry better ways if i can't provide for my basic needs the things that you referenced then i'm in poverty but what does that look like quantitatively right i think you know if you're a single person hey if your rent is $1500 a month is that the minimum of what actually you can get away with right versus yeah, i could probably rent a room and shared accommodations for 500 bucks, right? Similarly, how much do I spend on food? Maybe 150 bucks. Now, obviously that means no eating out. I'm buying the cheapest stuff. I'm buying, you know, basic groceries, probably cooking all my own food, which means I have to spend more time, all these types of things. Clothing, minimum, you know, maybe 50 bucks a month. Transportation, you know, I would ask, I, I came up with a number of 200 thinking, okay, transit pass plus maybe a little bit more. And then, for me, the best example is, as you said, phone, but let's put phone, TV, internet in a category. How many people have a $300 phone, TV, internet bill? When A lot. When, if you're really trying to save, you might have the ability to lower that down to 75 to 100 bucks. I have a basic phone line, unlimited internet at home, and I only operate on Wi-Fi. Right. Now, that might suck. In a sense, you might be, you know, inconvenienced by that, but you can get away with that. And my point is more, hey, guess what? From a poverty perspective, that's under a thousand dollars a month in income. And if you're working full time, you would only need to be making six dollars an hour to achieve that. So obviously, if there's two or three people in your family, you know, four people, you're trying to provide. You know, things get, the numbers can change, obviously, pretty significantly. Um, But my point is, how many people start with recognizing, okay, I can get away with spending as little as this, 
And hey, guess what? Maybe you're you feel like spending an extra hundred dollars a month to have a car makes sense for you. Mm-hmm. And you're willing to sacrifice the extra savings to have a car. But if you're doing that by taking on debt, okay, fine. Like then then you're close to poverty. That's a different conversation. But if you're sacrificing your excess, essentially you're sacrificing your wealth in order to consume today. Right? If you have a $300 TV internet cell phone bill, mm-hmm. but you're barely paying all of your bills, that means you can value consuming today more than in the future. And and you're essentially sacrificing wealth because you're not willing to save. Mm-hmm. So do we put that on society for saying, well, you have more than your needs, you've consumed a whole bunch of wants, and I don't have enough. Like To me, there's a disconnect between who's responsible here. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Past, Pastor Joel Nikoloff. Past the collection plate, man. This he is, said he went better than you, I yo, could. Yo, I'm, I'm getting convicted. I'm, I'm getting convicted. I'm like, oh, is he talking to me? <laughs> How does he know my cell phone bill? <laughs> oh, that, no, that, 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 that was solid, Joel. So let me ask you guys this. Uh, what, as of right now, like this is for a person who has, uh, let's say, uh, two kids uh, and just has his little savings account, doesn't have much but wants to leave an inheritance for his kids well what would you guys recommend the place to start i mean it's his area of expertise but insurance insurance is the most basic you should have life insurance life insurance and life insurance is can be so cheap especially when you're younger and on sorry what's younger i mean in your 20s okay okay even even 30s even 30s like you can get a pretty cheap, inexpensive term life insurance policy, half a million dollars, 22 for about 30 bucks a month. Yeah. yeah. And, and straight up, I'm 33. I did mine. Was it 33 or 32? Whatever. I got the super preferred rate because I'm super healthy. And I'm paying like 23, 24 bucks a month okay. for, for basically what he just described. Okay. And sorry, just, just quickly, how much does a funeral cost these days? Final expenses, not just funeral. So that includes um, the morgue, includes all the stuff you have, people you have to pay. Plot of land, tombstone. On the average, the average funeral um, final expense costs about 25000 Okay. The government may give you 2500 That's it. If you're, if you're impoverished. If, and that's on the high end talking about here, right? So when you think about the final expenses plus the lost wages because you're no longer there mm. plus your kids and the kind of lifestyle they will have just replacing your income even if you don't replace anything else and all the replacing the net income you're bringing every month for at least 10 to 20 years makes a big difference in how much wealth is transferred to the next and, and 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 that's how if life insurance works. Yeah, I mean the simplest way to look at it would be, you know, I I you can go to twenty years. You don't have to. I mean, you know, if I like I I think I got five hundred thousand dollar coverage. The idea being that my wife could continue to raise our kids, bef- 
and, and to the point of, let's say they're in school, so then she can work full time and try to take care of the kid, mm. right? Or, I mean, obviously there's family and other people involved, but like, you know, if you, you know, do a multiplier and you're like, oh, my income works out to like six, seven hundred thousand for 20 years, can you really afford that? Maybe not, right? Like now you're talking getting a policy that's getting closer to 50 bucks or $60 potentially, right? As you, but, but think about, okay, what's the bare minimum that, that I think my family needs to survive without me? And, and I think we should come back to the point about the way policies generally work is you lock in on a, on a, a term life insurance policy, right? When I'm 50 years old, do my kids really need me to be able to leave them money? Well, chances are they're all old enough. I mean, maybe 50 is a little young, but, but they're almost all old enough to start working and take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. Correct. Right? So you essentially sign a policy term at, an a, at a young age so that for that time period where they can't provide for themselves, I have security. And so can you afford 20 bucks a month? You can make it work. And if you sign that policy at like 20 years old, before you have any of these responsibilities, and you're like, oh, I'm going to sign for 30 years at 20. Well, guess what? The, because the risk of you dying in the first 10 years is so low, your policy is so cheap, like under 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And just even think about how much, how much do we spend on cell phone bills? <laughs> Let's use that for example. <laughs> you would rather have a $100 $70 cell phone bill than to have a life insurance policy that let's even say costs you that same 70 bucks. Right. Like if you were to scrape little here and there, cut, cut a little bit on, on groceries, cut down a little bit on, on your cell phone, cut well, down a little, cut you out could, data from your cell phone, cut, cut out data or there's, there's ways to make it work. Essentially is what we're saying. It's about priority expensive cost priorities right priorities yeah right because it's one of those things where you look at like lifestyle inflation and the way we live in this culture and i think it's important for us especially as christians to understand that you know what god has called us to uh good stewardship good Mm -hmm. financial stewardship and um living humbly right because you know we live you know (laughs) Kind of like that old saying, like, you know, you don't know what you need till you go to the mall, right? Right. You know what I mean? You walk through the mall and you're like, oh, shoot, actually, I do need a new pair of pants. Oh, wait, the new Jays are out? Oh, actually, you know what? I don't have them in black. So I need it. <laughs> Sneakerhead. <laughs> no, you don't. Sneakerhead. All right. You know what I mean? But it's, it's one of those things where, you know, financial literacy to me is like, and, you know, I'm please, I'm not being super spiritual, but to me, it's like the gospel, especially when I talk to you, Sean, Aishion, about these things, like it points out my sin. It points out my um, inefficiencies. Yeah, my covetousness. Like, Discontentment. Like, bro. And, you know, it just shows it to me. And then like, after I got to like go home and repent and be like, okay, well, like, yo, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm I, you know, I got my money coming in and I'm squandering it. Mm-hmm. It's just going in one hand and out the other, and you're turning around and saying, "Oh, I don't have anything." You know, one of the things that pains me is sometimes uh, people make excuses that, "Okay, you know what? Once I get a raise, I'm, I'm, or when I get a bonus at the end of the year, or once I get make a little more money, um, I'll do this. I'll save, or I'll get that insurance policy. I'm just waiting for that raise. I'm just waiting for that increase." 
But when that increase happens, we tend to increase our lifestyle. For the, for the gentleman or the person living on $2,000 a month, he's able to make it work. It's not convenient, but he's able to make it work. He gets that pay raise to 2300 2400 Does that mean he begins to save 300 bucks? No, that rarely ever happens. Mm-hmm. He just increases his lifestyle right in line with that. Mm-hmm. And once again, it goes back to priorities. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, without rabbit trailing this conversation, I would say a huge part of that problem is we're not, we are incentivized or we're de-incentivized to save and we're incentivized to consume because that's the paradigm of belief for the economy that is what we need, mm-hmm. right? There's this, within the Keynesian view, economic model, consumption is a... Is, oh, sorry, quickly define Keynesian. It's essentially the mainstream view of economics. Um, there's getting into so much... Um, we would, me and you, would contrast it with the Austrian view. Um, in general, comes down to where, where you would see the differences really in, in money and banking and the concept of, you know, government, government intervention in, in, in money supply and money control. But the reason I'm, I'm going there is like, especially in Canada right now, and I mean, it's North America, it's all across the world. How low are interest rates? Interest rates represent the future value of my money. If I'm only getting a 1% return, well, I got $100 today or $101 next year. Well, that's a different equation than if I had the ability to earn 5%, 6%. I know talking 100 versus 106, but then compound that, compound that, compound that. Over time, I start to be more incentivized to actually save when the interest rates are what I would call normal. Mm-hmm. versus this arbitrarily low amount. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have a question for you too. Uh, in regards, so, okay, so, so you take care of your life insurance, so you have that, and you want to accumulate uh, more assets, more wealth. So s- stocks, um, houses, what do you guys say about that? I usually say for the average person, it's a combination of hard assets and paper assets. The hard assets is your real estate and your paper assets are your stocks, your ETFs, your bonds and those things. Um, there are other places to invest. The more um, discretionary income you have, businesses, private businesses, and there's a lot to, that you can invest in. But even for the average person, you can't afford a house, start with a TFSA. Have mm-hmm. that invested for you. Well, Simple has a pretty inexpensive platform. You can start investing for like $25 a month, start putting that away. Yeah, I think what you're, the, the latter part of what you're saying is most important to me, which is like, every time you get paid, are you saving something? Every time you pay your bills, are you going, oh, there goes all my paychecks? Right or or all the income got spent on everything. We don't really have anything to save, mm-hmm. right? Just that have you know creating the habit of ten percent of my paycheck, five percent of my paycheck is savings. Where it goes is is to me step two. If you don't have that attitude of I'm have to save a certain amount, or alternatively, if you just finish school, a certain amount is paying down my debt. Mm-hmm. Right, get that debt 
away from me. And, and then when the debt's gone, just continue the habit into your savings. I have a client that I would consider not even middle class. Makes maybe about 35000 a year. Started saving like $50 per paycheck maybe like three, four years ago. When I looked into her accounts maybe a few weeks ago, she had almost ten grand. How did that happen? It's just a small habit. She saves 50 bucks a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Compound that with the growth over the last five years. That's how come she's had that much. Mm-hmm. The math may not make sense if you're thinking 50 times 12 times 5. But every time she gets a little money here and there, her tax return, her tax refund. Drop it in. The drop savings. it in there. Drop a thousand bucks from her tax refund. She gets a little bonus at work for whatever. Drops 200 bucks in there. It's the habit of, okay, I need to put money away, right? Are we, right? Like I would say, I mean, we were talking to Sam Say, he's like, we have a covetousness problem, right? Mm-hmm. Culturally, I would say we have a materialistic problem because we value stuff today, but spending money, like, I don't know about you, man, but I, I enjoy spending money. Like it feels good, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily a good thing be honest i hate spending money when i have to i love spending money when i don't have to mm-hmm. right when you get hit with that like oh you got to pay for this you know accident you got in you're like this is brutal but if you had a thousand dollars to spend on a vacation instead you're like this is amazing i love it mm-hmm. so i think the habits um around money the habits regarding savings thinking like oh i'll do that later mm-hmm. no no sacrifice you know Ordering pizza every Friday when you don't have that money, mm-hmm. right? So I, I think, I mean, I would say I probably have a different view in terms of where to put your money. I mean, I'm wearing a gold money t-shirt right now. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about that after the show. Yeah, <laughs> check it, check it. <laughs> I mean, to ask you, but anyways. I believe in the gold standard, by the way. That's between me and my co-host. That's another yeah, yeah. rabid show that. Yeah, yeah. But. The point being, like, I'm not telling you take 100% of your wealth and put it in gold. No. Perfect example. Kevin O'Leary, he's like, 10% of his portfolio is in wealth, or is in gold, sorry. Mm-hmm. So if gold price goes up, he sells the excess. Gold price goes down, he buys more. Mm-hmm. It's, without getting into the nuances, there's, there's value in having it as a diverse part of your portfolio. Yeah. Um, you know, that might mean you have $1,000. Well, guess what? $500 is in a TSFA, maybe $400 in RRSP, and 100 bucks is in An gold. emergency fund. Yeah. Or, or, or yeah, cash. Like, you know, you, you if something comes up, you can, boom. I don't have to go to the bank. I don't have to worry about I got the money. Yeah. Pay for my, you and, know, take care of it. And you know problem. what? And that's a beautiful thing because I was watching, uh, I can't remember what, what, what I was watching, but it, was, it had to do with the NBA and the Golden State Warriors. And most of those guys on the Golden State Warriors, like Iguodala, Curry, uh, Kevin Durant, they have they have investments and so the thing in their locker room is they talk all they talk is their investments and they brag (laughs) about whose investments are doing better than others i remember back in the 90s that's a locker room i want to be in my yo bro and and it's funny because kevin durant's real arrogant about it. he's like yo so how's that investment doing oh it's not as good as mine and then like you know they're going back and forth i remember back in the early 90s that's not what guys were bragging about they were bragging about chains 
cars and things that devalue. Like Iverson? Yeah. Practice? <laughs> <laughs> Constantly changing jerseys every yeah, city you go. Yeah, jerseys, yeah. Leaving clothes behind. And now he's almost broke that he has to wait till he's 40 or 50 or something to get the money in trust. Yeah. Like, it's... Yeah. Well, it's, it sounds like he protected himself from himself, but... Well, Reebok protected him from oh, himself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was true. Reebok who did it for him. They're like, hey, let me help you out, little brother. Yeah, we're going to put this money away for <laughs> yeah. you. Good, good call. Yeah. But but again, I would say like that's that's a societal issue with regards to how we view money, mm -hmm. how we view consumption mm -hmm. versus saving. Because mm -hmm. if you look at it, your, your income is going to be split 100% between consumption and savings. Now, maybe 50% of it is completely non-discretionary, meaning it's going to things that you don't really have control over. As we talked about with the financial numbers I ran through, you know, some of those are bare needs. 50% I mean, is probably gone to your needs. Maybe 75% is gone to your needs. But what are you doing with that last other portion that is potential savings? Are you just squandering it all on consumption? Or are you actually spending more than you make? That's right. even another conversation. I mean, a, again, I would say that's at the root problem is our view of materialism and consuming goods mm -hmm. versus help, you know, even am I willing to donate? Right, right. And, and, and it comes back to like what, like what Sean and what he does as a financial advisor, especially as a Christian one, uh, because, because we're governed by these principles as Christians uh, to be good stewards. Mm -hmm. and, and and so forth so so we should be uh a lot more disciplined um than we are now um but yeah but sean thank you um for uh, joining us and teaming up with us my pleasure uh, this was a lot of fun why, why don't you give the listener uh your contact information where can they reach out to you where where can they find you if they want to invest you can find me on twitter uh just send me a message at sa capital canada uh facebook um, SA Capital Advisors, and you can also send an email to podcast at sacapital.ca. Okay, cool. and we'll make sure we put all that contact information yeah, on hey, our guys, show notes page. And and guys, please make sure you subscribe uh, to the Dollar Savvy Podcast. I would describe it as, for me personally, I I call it the Dollar Devo. <laughs> I call it the Dollar Devo because That's a good one. no, bro. <laughs> honestly, like. Like so, sometimes the finances can get you down, mm -hmm. and 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 you can you can be broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when you listen to the Dollar Savvy podcast, I'm telling you, it just is such an encouragement. It, it brings you out of that stupid, and, and it makes you feel like, you know, there's still hope. Like God is still going to do something through your finances. Uh, so me and my wife are always encouraged by it, and we always go back to it when when we're I finished paying the bills and there ain't much left and we're looking like, okay, uh, let's listen to Sean again. Encourage us. <laughs> There's hope for <laughs> the next good. paycheck. Thank you, thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, yo, it's, it's real talk. I'm not even just saying that. Like, guys, look it up. It's really dope, man. All right. Yeah, you can find it at um, sacapital.ca slash podcast and then you can listen to it on whatever app you use, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Yeah. All right. So, listeners, hit us up. Let us know if you have questions about wealth poverty finances cool you know maybe in a future episode we can address those so 
at Six Sense Report on uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, and then Six Sense Report at gmail.com. But you heard me? Does that make sense? Madden and Mitchell Media. 